me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to continue where we had left off on Wednesday night. chapter 6 verse 5 thank you to all who have prayed and fasted this week in your given day and, uh, looking forward to seeing what God is going to do Matthew 6 and verse 5 when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily I say unto you they have their reward but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praying on purpose. Praying on purpose. Part two, if you're keeping track. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord tonight. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for everything you have done. Thank you for what you're doing right now, God, even in this place. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished in me, accomplished through me. Teach me to pray. God, teach me to pray. Teach my hands to war. Teach my fingers to fight. God, teach me to be effectual. Teach me to be fervent. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. We're talking again about praying on purpose. We're going to move quickly through some of this material that we preached about in depth on Wednesday. And if you have... A smartphone, 
or if you have access to podcasts, we have begun a Christian Life Tabernacle podcast, and it is not at this point interviews or special Bible studies or anything like that. We are, or rather, the Stender is uploading and exporting our messages onto that podcast. And so if you were not here on Wednesday or if you want to refresh, you can go into your smartphone's store. You can download uh, a podcast app or whatever it is uh, on your phone, your device. You can search for Christian Life Tabernacle and it will pop up and you can subscribe so you can be notified when new messages are downloaded. And I know the message from this morning was out there just within moments. And so you don't have to wait on CDs. You don't have to wait on an email. You can stay up to date, so on and so forth. So if you want to hear Wednesday, then go back and listen to that part one. So we're going to move quickly tonight. But I want to give you enough meat to remember. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. We covered it the other night. God is not saying that there's anything wrong with praying publicly. That's why we come into the house of God. That's why we come together in pre-service prayer. That's why we come together on Tuesday night for corporate prayer. And we have a phenomenal time in the Holy Ghost. And we are accomplishing things. And we are setting the tone. We are setting the stage. We are getting our spirits in line with the Spirit of God. We are uh, becoming harmonious one to another like a symphony. And we are coming together to create the sound of the church, the sound of of the kingdom. And so there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, you ought to be at prayer, at pre-service prayer. You ought to be at corporate prayer on Tuesday nights because God moves and God uses and God uses your voice and he wants to hear your voice in prayer. So on and so forth. But we we cannot base our relationship with God just upon those public appearances and just upon the public displays of my affections with God so on and so forth. We understand all of that. Listen to Wednesday night. We went into it more in depth. Uh, But we understand that we've got to have a personal relationship with God. That's what this whole walk with God is about. That's what this whole living for God is about, is a personal relationship with God. And what happens in our homes, what happens in our vehicles, what happens in our prayer closets, Uh, There's nothing wrong with praying in your vehicle. Just don't close your eyes if you're the driver. Uh, Some of my best prayer meetings have happened when I was driving down the road, and there have been times where I've had to pull off of the road to pray because I didn't want to pray with my eyes open. I wanted to focus just on my relationship and my conversation with God. And so whatever I, I do in public, I also must do that much and more in private. I've got to go in, and I've got to learn how to pray. David specifically prayed, God, Teach me how to pray. Notice, he prayed, asking God to teach him how to pray. So I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to pray to the best of my abilities and beyond my abilities. 
I don't just want to pray publicly three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. But the statement, enter into your closet, means I've got to make time. And I do have to make time. I do have to make time to pray, to dive deeper into prayer. Jesus is telling the crowd, yeah, pray in public, but have a personal relationship with me. You've got to have private moments with just you and God. Verse 7 says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions. I know even just since preaching this on Wednesday night, and I've taught about prayer, I've preached about prayer, but I know just even since Wednesday night that as I begin to pray throughout the other days that I find myself catching myself. Okay, I, I, I just maybe I just need to be here and be silent for a minute because I don't want to just give off vain repetitions. I want to pray, and I want to get things done. I want to accomplish something. I don't want to just be here and fill out time and just to fill up space and fill up time but but I want to pray effectually I want to pray fervently effectually and fervently and so Matthew chapter 6 is is not to be quoted verbatim it's it's a plan it's a layout pray after this manner maybe Wednesday we're going to start getting into what all of that means but I want to take my prayer to the next level. Obviously, we should prayer. We should pray, rather. Prayer makes it a godly man or a godly woman. It puts him or her in the mind of Christ. The mind of humility, self-surrender, service, pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying, said E.M. Bounds. And so I've got to discipline my body. I've got to discipline my mind. I've got to discipline my spirit to pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. Go back and listen to Wednesday night. You can take my word for it tonight. Effectual. I want to engage. I want to, uh, to allow myself to, to be energized by prayer and energized in prayer. I want to take it from one level to another. There is praying and then there is effectual praying. It's the added intensity that I need to shift from one dimension to the next. I want to... Take it from a now I lay me down to sleep to charging hell with a water pistol. I want to accomplish something in prayer. I don't want to just fill up time. I don't want to just fill up space. Can you understand me tonight? I noticed this afternoon when I was listening to the podcast to find out where I had left off on, Sun, or on Wednesday night. See, I'm using this as a tool already. I said, Man, I was talking really fast. So I'm going to try to slow down a little bit. There's praying, and then there is effectual praying. It's the added intensity. Effectual fervent. It's adding heat. It's adding heat. Exhibiting or marked by great intensity of feeling. And so, as children of God, I've got to understand the power of the dynamic power of God that I've been given access to after he has filled me with his spirit and the authority that I have to use that power. Somebody say, I've got the power. 
Somebody say, I have the authority. Somebody say, I've got the power. I've got the authority. I have the authority to use the power. So I've got to be effectual. So I've got to be fervent. All right. So I want, as a child of God, I want to understand how to have the power. After you got the Holy Ghost, you get the power, okay? That's another lesson for another time. That's another sermon for another time. But I want to be able to use that. I want to be able to operate under the authority of a God who is able to do anything, anytime he wants to do it. And you and I have the authority to use the power. Matthew 18, verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth, whatsoever ye shall fasten, whatsoever you shall compel, whatsoever you shall declare to be prohibited and unlawful, I will declare to be prohibited and unlawful in heaven. And whatsoever you shall release or dissolve or loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. If any two of you agree on earth as touching anything that you ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So I'm going to call it out. I'm going to be in harmony one with another. I want to be unified with the body. I want to be unified with the man of God. I want to be unified with the spirit of God so I can really get some things done in prayer. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, not my name, but in his name, there am I in the midst of them. And so we understand that we are engaged, or we should be engaged in prayer. And what we need a revelation of is that prayer is not just for me. He already said, your Father who is in heaven already knows what you have need of before you ask it or before you think it. That does not mean that I don't ask. That doesn't mean that I don't think. That does not mean that I do not petition him. That does not mean that I don't ask him. That doesn't mean that I just ignore it like it's not there. Sometimes he wants me to pray and ask him so then he can answer my prayer. But prayer is more than that. Prayer is more than going to the self-checkout at the grocery store to buy spiritual goods. But I also have power and authority in my prayer. I also have power and authority with God through my prayer. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. I want to take my prayer life to the next level. How about you? I do that by, by increasing the fervency, by putting into practice my authority and dominion. And I can start inserting the concept of binding and loosening into my prayer to take it up a level. It's called warfare prayer. It's military operations between enemies. Struggle between competing entities. If you've been here on Tuesday night for corporate prayer, you've seen a list on the screen. If you're here Wednesday night, chances are you got a printout 
of that list. We know Selah took our list home and she slapped it on the side of the refrigerator. So everybody knows. Bind it. Loose it. Maybe she's telling Zeke, bind it before you get to the fridge. Loose it before you get to the fridge. Anyway, I want our kids to understand that they have power in prayer. I want to teach them from a young age that prayer can be a powerful weapon. And so I can bind some things and I can lose some things. We're going to go through that list tonight in some more detail. At the top of that list, you'll find the spirit of fear. Now pray, tell me whether we should bind the spirit of fear or we should loose the spirit of fear. I don't know about you, but I want to bind the spirit of fear. I don't want fear taking hold in my life. I know fear is my natural response at times. And God has put something inside of every man, woman, boy, or girl that's called the fight or flight reflex. When faced with opposition, when faced with a situation, you are either going to do one of two things. You are either going to fight or you are going to flight. You're either going to stay and duke it out and get something accomplished, or you're going to run and find somebody else to do it for you. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when I take on my garment of strength, and I understand when, when this situation arises that I do not have to cower, I do not have to run, I do not have to bow, I do not have to break under the pressure, but I can stand and I can fight in the Spirit. I can call those things which are not as though they were. And I can bind, I can bind up, I can cause to, to become prohibited in my world. I can compel the spirit of fear to leave. I can come to the point where I begin calling things out as though they were. And I can say in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind the spirit of fear. You spirit of fear, you don't have room here. There's no place for you here. There's no place for you in my mind. There's no place for you in my home. There is no place for you in my church. There is no place for you in the mind of my children. There's no place for you in my city. And so I bind you and I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Why? Because for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power and of love and of a sound mind. So when I bind the spirit of fear, you can read in Scripture. The Word of God says that if you bind a strong man, you cast him out of his abode, his house, that he will wander and he will come back like a rabbit that is chased from the brush. The dogs run after the rabbit, but the hunter does not have to run because the hunter understands that that rabbit is going to run in a circle. 
It's going to try to outrun the dog. It's going to try to outrun the danger. But it will circle back to what it is familiar with. It will circle back to the briar patch. And so all the hunter has to do is make sure he's not going to hit his dog when the rabbit comes back around. And so it is with the spirit that 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 evil, unclean spirit, that strong man will make a circle and he will come back around and if he finds the house empty, he will come back with seven other spirits worse than he was on his own. And so when I bind the spirit of fear, I've got to loose something else into that space. If your mind is bound by fear, you need to compel fear to get out. And you need to fill that space with something else. And Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when I bind the spirit of fear, I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose the dunamis, the almighty power and strength of God, the love, the unconditional love of God and soundness of mind. I'm going to act out God's will by doing what he calls sound reasoning. I'm going to bind fear. I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose love. I'm going to lose soundness of mind. So when that spirit comes back around, it's not going to find an empty dwelling. Moving down the list, we can bind, again, the spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61 in verse 3 says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So what do you think we might lose? When we bind heaviness, well, pastor, I'm not even really sure what heaviness is. Heaviness is more than being disappointed with a number on a scale. Although I'm feeling the spirit of heaviness. But the spirit of heaviness is, is a spirit that causes a dimness. It causes a dullness. It causes one to become faint and somewhat dark, darkish, waxing, dim, smoking as of a heavy heart, inclined to fall into despair. It's indicative of a light that's not burning very brightly. It indicates a man or woman who's coming into church and they're here and the light might still be there, but if there's a smoke screen around it and it's not as bright as what it usually is because life happens then a spirit of heaviness can happen and that does not mean you're backslid that doesn't mean you're weird that doesn't mean you're fallen what it means is you need to trade in the garment of heaviness for the garment of praise and you can bind heaviness just like the spirit that it is you can let heaviness know you're not pulling the wool over my eyes 
eyes. I know who you are. I know your trick. I know your trade. I know I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I bind the spirit of heaviness in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of heaviness in the name of Jesus. I bind it. I bind the spirit that says I'm too busy with the work of God. I bind the spirit that says I'd rather be doing something. I bind it in the name of Jesus and I lose the comforter. I lose praise. I lose joy. Somebody clap your hands and lift your voice. Let your light so shine before men. I bind that spirit of heaviness. And I loose the comforter. I loose the paracletos who is called to one's aid. He is the advocate. He is the intercessor. He is the one who gives advice who advocates from close beside. He makes the call. Used properly, it is a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because he is close enough to the situation to know what is good and what is right. We have an advocate with the Father whose name is Jesus Christ. John 14 and verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, I bind the spirit of heaviness and I loose the Comforter. I lose the one who really knows what's going on because he's never left my side. As the dimness clouded my eye, he was standing close enough that he could smell what was going on. He was close enough he could read the handwriting on the wall. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. I bind heaviness. I lose the comforter. I lose praise. Praise has been described as adoration, feeling or showing great affection and devotion. David wrote in Psalm 150, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary, in his designated place. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Or what does, what does that mean, Pastor? It means praise him in the expanse of his strength. I praise him in the designated place, Brother George. But the designated place called the house of God is not nearly big enough to contain everything that he is. You see what's going on right now is I've bound the spirit of heaviness that's got the wool pulled over my eyes, that's got my head down and has my shoulders parallel with the ground, and I'm loosing the comforter. I'm loosing the praise. I'm loosing the adoration of the one whose expanse in his strength cannot be contained. 
I'm magnifying the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. The firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. For his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. With the timbrel, with the dance, with the stringed instruments and organs. Upon the loud cymbals. Upon the high sounding cymbals. If you have breath in your body, you ought to praise the Lord. Six verses, all about praise. So I bind heaviness, and heaviness doesn't want me to worship. Heaviness doesn't want me to praise. Heaviness doesn't want me to fast. Heaviness doesn't want me to have joy. Heaviness doesn't want me in the house of God. But I begin to pray, and I begin to bind the spirit of heaviness. And before long, the head that was down is now uplifted. Look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Lift up your head, O ye gates. For the King of glory shall come in. Lord strong and mighty. Praising him. The firmament of his power. As if his power has its own atmosphere. We're beyond the stratosphere. We're beyond the troposphere. We are now in the firmament of his praise and his strength. The firmament of his strength. I bind heaviness, and then I let heaviness know. I said I bind heaviness. And then I let heaviness know. And the more I let heaviness know, the more I feel like saying, I bind you heaviness. And I'm going to let you know how great, how mighty, how great, how mighty, how great, how mighty my God is. He's got a firmament just for his power. Oh, heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Now I understand. Why heaviness ought not to bind up the child of God. I bind heaviness. I lose the comforter. I lose praise. And I lose joy. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Before I know it, heaviness is gone. The comforter has come. I have praised him. And now I've got joy. And now I have strength. The answer to your spiritual strength is releasing the comforter, releasing praise, loosing praise, and loosing joy. So I bind heaviness and I loose the comforter. God, I bind the spirit of heaviness in my city. Notice, I don't have to specifically bind depression and oppression. Because when I bind heaviness, I'm binding depression. I'm binding oppression because they are clouding the vision of the saint of God or the potential saint of God. When I bind the spirit of heaviness, I'm binding all of the above. So I bind the spirit of fear. 
I bind the spirit of heaviness. And then I bind the spirit of seductions. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall come or shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Whenever we think of seducing spirits, we think of sexually seductive spirits. The spirit of Jezebel. But the spirit of Jezebel got her roots in false doctrine. The spirit of Jezebel got her roots in perverting and twisting truth. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Well, this is the God that we ought to serve. And this God wants us to act this way. Our God requires worship this way. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So seducing spirits in plain and simple language are deceitful and lead astray. The Proverbs said they lead their captives away. The silly women lead their captives away. It's a spirit of seduction. And he said it's like you're falling down a hole and you don't even know what you're doing. It's just, it's a deceitful spirit. And those spirits, their sole purpose is deception. It is obvious then that those spirits will lead to false doctrine. Doctrines of devils, the Bible calls them. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Meaning they're fake, they're feigning. They have their conscience seared. Meaning that they are insensitive to truth and the importance of honesty. And so we bind the spirit of seductions, and in doing so, we are also binding and praying against the spirit of false doctrine. We are praying against the spirit of false doctrine when we bind the spirit of seductions. And so when we bind the spirit of seductions, we must loose another spirit. We must lose another doctrine. And so when I bind the spirit of seduction, the best thing for me to do, so when that spirit makes its way around, that spirit of false doctrine, when it looks in, it cannot see another spirit of false doctrine. Otherwise, it will make itself at home. But when I plead the blood of Jesus, and when I pray, and when I bind the spirit of seduction, I've got to release the Holy Spirit. I've got to release the spirit of truth. I've got to release truth itself we lose his spirit which is holy his spirit leads to attitudes it leads to locations it leads to activities and it leads to a lifestyle that is holy because it's written be ye holy for i am holy it's both a call and an invitation to holiness. 
Holiness is a way that brings strength. It brings peace. It brings the favor of God. And so when I bind the spirit of seductions, I loose. God, I want your spirit to run rampant in this city. God, I want the Holy Ghost to run rampant in my life. God, I want you to I want you to open every closet. I want you to look under every stairwell. I want you to look behind every closed door. I want you to look behind every shadow. I want you to open up. I want you to clean every cobweb. God, I don't want there to be any spirit of seduction left in my world. That's the way that I was in the world. But God, that spirit has no place in the life of a child of God. And so I loose the Holy Ghost. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Let your spirit search my heart, search my mind, search my home, search my neighborhood. God, I want the Holy Ghost to have his way in my world. And I lose the spirit of truth. Ye shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. It regenerates me, a free man. It doesn't just set me free doesn't just set me free as the same man but it makes me free it regenerates me into a free man and so I bind the spirit of seductions and I loose the Holy Spirit and I loose truth in Jesus name and then I can go on and I can bind the spirit of perversion to pervert is to cause to turn aside or to turn away from what is good or true or morally right. It is to make corrupt. It is caused to turn aside or away from what is generally done or accepted. I don't have to go into great detail tonight because we live in a perverted world. We live in a world where they try to make multi-million dollars or even one dollar off of Netflix shows exploiting children. It's perverted. And so I, as a child of God, have a duty to bind the spirit of perversion, to let perversion know, hey, you are ungodly, you are unlawful, and you have no place in my world. You have no place in my life. Perversion is the direct opposite and in absolute opposition to godliness. What is godliness? Godliness in the life of a child of God is how we respond to the things of God that show itself in reverence to God. It's a godly heart response. It naturally expresses itself in reverence for God. And everything that God calls sacred, and everything that God calls worthy, so I bind the spirit of perversion. I loose the spirit of godliness. Godliness and holiness. Godliness and holiness are more than just a manner of dress. It is more than a manner of outward appearance with Isaac. It's even more. It's even more 
than inward holiness and just making sure I'm clean on the inside. Making sure that I'm not a Pharisee who's got everything together on the outside, but inside I'm, 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 a, I'm a whitewashed sepulcher. I look pretty on the outside, but on the inside I'm full of dead men's bones. Okay, Inward and outward holiness are paramount in order to make it to heaven. They're necessary. Okay, But it's more than just so I stick out in my world. It's more than me sticking out like a sore thumb. But elder, according to this, according to the word of God, and the binding of the spirit of perversion, Brother Heath, godliness now becomes a weapon. My holiness now is more than a defense against the things of the world. My holiness combats the spirit of the world. The fact that you and I strive for inward and outward holiness means that you and I are engaged in spiritual combat against the spirit of the world that's trying to overrun our children, that's trying to overrun our minds, that's trying to overrun our marriages, that's trying to reinvent the term family. But when I stand for holiness with the right attitude, because I've got to have the right attitude if I'm going to be holy. When I'm binding perversion and I'm loosing the spirit of godliness and holiness in my life, when my heart is responding correctly to the things of God, then now I am engaged. I am fervent. I am effectual in my fight against that which is unclean and that which is perverse. So I bind the spirit of perversion and I lose the excellent spirit of godliness. God, I pray that hearts would turn to you. I pray that hearts would, would respond correctly. Perversion is how they're responding to the things of the world. That's why it's such a polar opposite. I bind Spirit of perversion. Loose the excellent spirit of godliness. I bind the spirit of jealousy. Spirit of envy. You can, you can find all kinds of references in the word of God to jealousy. It's termed in many different ways. Numbers 5 specifically refers to the jealousy of a husband over his wife. You find scriptures regarding God being a jealous God, His glory He will not give to another. But we find ungodly jealousy, a zeal. In fact, it's even given a color in its original language. It's given its own color. It's a zeal, it's a jealousy that has been described as an extreme zeal produced by a deep emotion can be founded, can be reasonable. Like I said, God's a jealous God. Or it can be unfounded. It can be unreasonable. It can be based solely upon emotion. In short, what are we binding, Pastor? We're binding ungodly jealousy, covetousness, envy. What am I doing? How am I counteracting that? What am I filling the space with? Ripping out jealousy or I'm, I'm binding it on earth, and God's binding it in heaven. And then I'm loosing the love of God. 
Romans 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I remove jealousy and envy out of the equation and I say, okay, God, I want your love. I want your unconditional love to reign where jealousy, which, which produced hatred, which produced bitterness and produced violence, God. I want you to have the love of God fill that space. I want the love of God that nothing can chase away, that height and depth, that principalities, powers, tribulations, so on and so forth, cannot separate them from. So I bind the spirit of jealousy. I loose the love of God. Moving on. I bind spirit of Antichrist. Everybody's mind just went to the book of Revelation. But the Antichrist is not just symbolic of one man. But it is a spirit. It is a spirit that is anything that is against the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It also goes hand in hand with binding false doctrine. 1 John 4, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. It's not waiting, waiting on the book of Revelation. It's already in the world. John the Revelator said it's already in the world right now. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now we move on. Second John. We'll call it chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. Verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. That's great in and of itself, right? Now let's read verse 9. Have you read it? Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son, knowing who he was, knowing who he is, is paramount to binding 
the spirit of false doctrine. I can bind the spirit of antichrist and I can loose the spirit of the true Christ. I've got to know who he is and when I have a revelation of who he is I understand that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily and when I understand that and I understand the doctrine then I can say okay I refuse to allow the spirit I said I refuse to allow the spirit of antichrist to rule in my world, to rule in my church, to rule in my city. The spirit of antichrist will tell you that there's three, not one. That is false doctrine. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist. Because it's trying to remove the power. It's not trying. It is removing the power. It's removing the truth of who he was. It's removing it and it's just saying, oh, you know what? He was in the likeness of God and that's why he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you know dads and sons, you know, they look alike, the same genetics, the same, the same makeup, the same DNA. And so he's just saying, hey, me and my dad look like each other. No. That's not at all what he was saying. He was saying, Philip, when you have seen me, You've seen him. For God is a spirit. No man can see a spirit. But when you've seen me, buddy, you've seen the Father. For in me dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For when the Comforter has come, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now I've got a revelation of what happens when I bind the spirit of Antichrist. I'm binding the spirit of false doctrine. I'm binding the spirit of the Trinity. And I'm saying, hey, listen, I know who he is. So the best thing I can do to combat that spirit Say, God, give them a revelation of who you are. On the count of three, I'm releasing. Hell, I want you to know the only three you got to be worried about is that when I get to three, I'm releasing the spirit of the true Christ. I'm releasing the, the Messiah. I'm releasing the knowledge of the true Christ. I'm releasing the knowledge of who he was. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm releasing the anointed one. I'm releasing Jehovah has become my salvation. I'm releasing he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him gave he power. 
to become the sons of God. I'm releasing that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm releasing the way, the truth, and the life. So I bind the spirit of Antichrist, and I loose the Messiah. I loose the true Christ. I loose the anointed one. I'm releasing the knowledge of him. I'm releasing the spirit of revelation. I'm binding the Antichrist. Everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, I bind it in the name of Jesus. I move on. I begin to bind the spirit of bondage. What a trip. Pick up the microphone because that's something else I noticed in the podcast. We need to upgrade. I'm binding the spirit of bondage. Have you caught it? He said, Spirit of the Lord's upon me, leading captivity captive. I'm binding bondage. We already rebuked the spirit of fear. We already bound the spirit of fear. But what if fear is binding me? Then I can reverse it and bind bondage. Romans 8 and verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I've not been given the spirit of fear. I've not been given the spirit of bondage. So I can bind bondage. I can bind slavery. And I can lose liberty. I can lose the spirit of adoption. One study Bible puts that verse this way. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership by whom we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Daddy. Spirit of adoption. I've walked out of bondage. I've walked out of spiritual slavery. Now I'm in bonds of love. Now I'm in bonds because I've chosen to be in bonds with the one who died for me. 
I can bind the spirit of bondage. I can bind servitude to the things of the world. I can bind slavery to the things and the philosophies of the world. And I can lose liberty. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I can lose the spirit of adoption that takes on, that allows me to take on a different name. It allows me to take on a different set of traits. Bind the spirit of error. First John again. Same chapter, chapter 4, verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. To be in error is to be wandering. Again, it's deceit. It is delusion. It is sin. It is error. It's deviant behavior. It's a departure from what God says is true. It's a deception that results in wandering or roaming into sin. It is the spirit of error that would bring clarity to, to the verse that says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. It's the wandering into sin. It's the spirit of making a conscious choice, a conscious decision And such is also false teachers. That's what John was saying as well. He said, if they're of God, they'll hear us. If they're not of God, they won't. That's how you know between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. And so overcoming false teachers is based upon the fact that the spirit of truth that lives in the spirit-filled believer is greater than the spirit of error that is in the unbeliever. And so we know that light and darkness are opposite. So are the spirits of error and the spirit of truth. The spirit of error is the opposite of the spirit of truth. And so when I bind the spirit of error, when I bind the spirit of delusion, when I bind the wandering off into false teaching and false doctrine and into sin, I must loose something that is the opposite of that. When I bind the spirit of error, if I'm binding it in my own life, it would go something like, God, I bind the spirit of error that would allow me to sin. God, I bind the spirit of error. I, I, I pray, God, that I would not choose sin. God, give me discernment. God, give me discernment. Help me to know what's right. Help me to know what's true. I bind the spirit of error. and I lose something that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. I lose the spirit of truth. So I'm going to bind the spirit of error. I'm going to loose the spirit of truth. I move on and I bind the spirit of lying. I told you Wednesday, this list is just to get you started. I bind the spirit 
of lying. Second Chronicles 18, verse 18. Again, he said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. This would trip you out. The Lord said, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner. Oh, I can do it. What's going on? It's a similar situation to when Satan appeared with the sons of God. God's having a conference with his angels. He's saying, okay, Ahab has got to get to Ramoth Gilead. He's king of kings and lord of lords, remember? At Ramoth Gilead, Ahab is losing his life, but I've got to get him from where he's at to Ramoth Gilead. I need some help. He didn't really, but he asked. And so there's a couple of angels that lift up their hands and they say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Well, how are you going to do it? I'll do it this way. No, 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 I think this is better. I'll do it this way. But then pushing through the crowd comes this wily, wiry spirit. It says, I'll do it. I'll entice him to go. God said, we're with. Sorry, podcast. Where with? How will you do it? He said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. The Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. He said, I'll go out and be a lying spirit. I'll go out and operate in deception. I'll operate in disappointment. I'll operate in falsehood. Verse 22, Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets. This is the true prophet. Ahab's prophets are false prophets. Research that on your own. They were not men of God. Men of vast evil. And God said, okay, because they're living in error, I'll allow a spirit of lying to get in them. And when Ahab asks them for counsel, it will be the lying spirit that gives counsel. And the prophet comes in and he says, oh yeah, of course, that's what they said. But God told me there's a lying spirit in their mouth. But the man of God confronts the lying spirit. And the man of God said, no, the Lord's put a lying spirit in their mouth. The Lord has spoken evil against you. There was a lying spirit in the mouth of his false prophets. And so again, we bind the lying spirit and we lose the spirit of truth. You can go on and read the story. A lying spirit. Oh, yeah, no, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to live that way. Well, I'm a prophet too, Micaiah. This is what I say. Really, God's just using them as a puppet. 
So we bind the spirit of lying. We bind the spirit of deception. It goes beyond the, the lying mouth of a false prophet. It gets personal. I bind the deceptive nature of my carnality. I bind the falsehood that wants to rise in me as a defense mechanism. I bind the spirit of lying and I loose the spirit of truth. I don't want to live in error. I want to repent. I want to be right. I want to speak truth. And so, God, I bind every lying spirit. Whether it's lying to their mind, whether it's lying to their heart, whether it's a lying spirit of false doctrine, whether it's a lying sense of security, eternal security, or God, whether it's deception and falsehood in my own life, I bind the spirit of lying and I lose the spirit of truth. God, I lose revelation and God, I lose honesty. I lose integrity. I lose truth. I lose character. Bind the spirit of haughtiness. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. Haughtiness is a raised platform. Most of the time, self-exaltation, self-elation, grandeur, arrogance, an inflated ego of excellency. It's what eventually cost Haman his life haughtiness that Jews not bowing down to me verse 19 better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud and so I bind the spirit of haughtiness bind the spirit of pride I bind the spirit of arrogance and I lose the spirit of humility I lose the spirit of contrition I lose the spirit of brokenness. You see, humility is the opposite of haughtiness. Whereas haughtiness is an elevated or high view of oneself, humility is a low view of oneself. It's not a spirit of poverty. It's not a poor is me attitude. But it is an attitude that says, I am absolutely nothing without God. It's an attitude that says anything that I am, anything that I have achieved is only because of God. It is only because of God that we are not consumed. It's a spirit that says, I'm not going to elevate myself. If you want me to sit at the table with the princes and the kings, then you come get me. I'm not going to assume that, I'm go- that I am to be there, but I'm going to sit here and allow you to elevate me. Because if I'm there and you have to demote me, Bind the spirit of haughtiness. Loose the spirit of humility. Loose the spirit of contrition. Loose the spirit of brokenness. Lastly, this list. Bind the spirit of infirmity. Musicians come. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 12. He being Jesus teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. 18 years of spirit of infirmity. 
she was bowed together. It's a medical term that tells us that there was unnatural curvature to her spine. Bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. She's hunched over. Severe scoliosis. Curvature of her spine. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He said, you're loosed. It means to free fully or free completely. It was a release. It was a pardon. Medically, it meant to relax the tendons, to remove bandages, or to be released from a disease. And so Jesus demonstrated that the spirit of infirmity could not stop the great physician from healing the body that he had created. So when I bind the spirit of infirmity as we're standing tonight, as I bind the spirit of infirmity, I have got to release something back into that room. I've got to release something back into that place. And so I bind the spirit of infirmity and I loose the gifts of healing. I loose the spirit of life. And so you and I have the ability to bind and to loose. We have the ability to bind fear, heaviness, seduction, perversion, jealousy, antichrist, bondage, error, lying, haughtiness, infirmity. And we can lose love, power, sound mind, comforter, the comforter, praise, joy, the Holy Spirit, truth, the excellent spirit of godliness, the love of God, the true Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. We can lose liberty. We can lose the spirit of adoption. We can lose the spirit of truth. And we can lose the spirit of truth again. We can lose humility. We can lose contrition, brokenness, the gifts of healing, the spirit of life. That's the level that God wants our prayer to reach. That you and I have the ability to walk in that realm, to walk in that dimension where we are binding things on earth and he is binding things in heaven. Where we are loosing things on earth and he's loosing things in heaven. You heard me say it on Wednesday. There are different channels of approach. There's different ways that you can pray. And all of those things are necessary. All of those things are right. This is just a different aspect to prayer. It's another channel. God can use us. It's a way that our prayer can be effectual. It can be energized. It can morph from one level to another. It's a way that our prayer can be fervent. It's a way that we can fulfill 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I'll pray in the Spirit or with the Spirit, and I'll pray with understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding also. Paul was in no way, in no shape, in no form discouraging praying in the Spirit. He knew the benefit of that. 
But he's saying, hey, you've also got to pray on purpose. You've also got to pray with understanding. You've also got to be effectual. You also have to be fervent. You've also got to use this as a catalyst to propel you into the Spirit. And as you bounce into the Spirit and out of the Spirit, and as you reciprocate in and out, you've got a plan. You've got a path. You've got a layout to follow. You might get to the Spirit of fear. And you might find it, and you might wander off into the realm of the unknown for a while. And you might come back and you might start loosing and you might start binding again and you might start flowing and operating. I want to pray on purpose. I want to pray on purpose. I want to have an understanding. The pastor's putting lists up on, on the screen. We're not just doing it to fill time. We're not just doing it to fill space and just to quantify our Tuesday evening corporate prayer. But I want to have the tools to enter into the Spirit and to get things done. I want to accomplish something. I want to pray on purpose. I wonder tonight, on this Sunday night, as we're gearing up for Fall Fest, as we're gearing up for revival, I wonder if I have anybody that would say, you know what, Pastor? I want him to teach my hands to war. I want him to teach my fingers to fight. I want to put on my strength today. I want to walk in strength. I want to walk into an, into an anointing. I want to walk into power. I want to walk into binding and loosening. I want to be able to God to have God use me to accomplish things in the Spirit. I wonder if I have anybody tonight that would come to an altar that would say, you know what, God, if you want to use somebody to bind, if you want to use someone to lose some things in earth as it is in heaven, God, I want you to use me. Use my voice. Use my, use my ability to pray. Use the Spirit of God. God living inside of me. Jesus.